I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and was literally surrounded by water all the time. Everybody had a pool in their backyard or a dock coming off their house into the bay. My dad had a really good friend who had a lake house, and so we learned to water ski by the time I was in the fourth grade. My best friend had a condo on New Smyrna Beach, and we used to swim at all hours of the day, both dusk and dawn, um, without any type of parent supervision. And yet, uh, water is, is this thing that, as comfortable as I was around it as a child, it really terrified me also. Because growing up in Tampa, I lived through tons of hurricanes. And I remember one time watching my parents' boat be shred apart by the storm, just like it was made of straw. I remember tons of people always losing their homes or having this immense damage done. And in this thing that is, is so easily controlled, like this morning, none of us really had to think about just turning on our faucets or getting into the shower or that we could, we could um, easily put stuff onto our windshield so that it would clean our windows off. Um, it is terrifying. I look back on those trips to New Smyrna Beach where there was no parent supervision and then a couple of years ago, you know, there's been all these deadly shark attacks at the same exact spot where me and my friend Allie would swim. And then um, years ago, there was this tsunami. There was a 127-foot wave that, that hit an island taller than our Capitol building, and it killed 200,000 people. Water can be so terrifying. It doesn't seem like anything really can control it. It's totally out of our control. I wonder if you ever have thought of it as the most powerful force, natural force on this earth. And then when you think of Jesus, do you think of Jesus as powerful? Especially, the, the, you know, the image of Jesus as this like fair-skinned, flowy, sandy blonde hair Jesus. I don't really think of him as like this powerful force. And yet, um, we can easily say Jesus was fully divine, Jesus was fully human, Jesus came to send us, but Jesus is powerful well, the scripture we're going to read today that Kyle just teed up is this scripture where we see that Jesus actually has power over the natural forces in our world, like water, like storms. But what I want us to look at and, and be interested in this morning is that what Jesus had power over was more than just the natural forces of the world. That he had power over the other stuff that was going on that was pushing down and bearing down upon God's people. As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is worthy, may we think of such things, God. May anything that is not your truth fall onto deaf ears. May our busy minds be quieted. May our restless souls, may they be still so that we can hear from you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, God, may they please you. Amen. So we're continuing our look at the Gospel of Mark to discover who this Jesus is. And today we'll be reading from the fourth chapter. Hear now the word of our Lord. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, 
they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is found in the midst of Mark, right after Jesus has just begun to speak in this thing called parables. And then my favorite thing that Jesus ever does in Scripture happens in the midst of it, and Jesus takes a nap. you got to love that. We're told that he is asleep on the cushion in the stern of the boat. Now, the stern of the boat in first century was the place for the person of honor because it was the only place on the boat that had a pillow. And Jesus, you can just picture the disciples, they're like, I mean, he gets the stern of the boat and the only pillow on the boat. And, and then Jesus, like a, like a toddler that you're desperately trying to keep awake right before they get home, it's like he's just lulled to sleep because he's so exhausted and he falls asleep. Out of nowhere, which is common on the Sea of Galilee, especially at night, which Mark makes sure to tell us, a storm arises. And we're told that the storm arises quickly and that it's really bad. It, there is reason to fear. The word that's used there is swamped. That means the waves are coming into the boat. And too many waves that come into a boat mean that it has the risk of sinking. And so there is reason for these men to be scared. They have heard stories. They have heard stories of other fishermen and other people that did not make it out from a storm, that died, that perished. And so they are terrified. And in this moment, Mark tells us the first words that the disciples say in the entire gospel. Do you not care? The first words that they say. Teacher, do you not care? It's interesting, that's what they ask when up until this point in the gospel, all he's done is care. All he's done is care for them. He saw these unschooled, ordinary men, and he said, no matter what your status or your position is, come follow me. You get to be with me. They saw him, after that, they saw him walk into the temple, and there was a man with a withered hand who Jesus didn't know, and Jesus cared for him and healed that hand. They have seen this person speak this truth in parables that puzzles everybody, and then when he explains it, they are wowed. And they have the audacity to say, do you not care? Well, I wonder if any of you have said that to God. Look at my life. Everything has fallen apart. This is too much for one person. This is too much for one family. Do you not care? The Greek word that's used here for care is very rarely found in the New Testament. But there's this one other spot when it's used that I think gives us a, a fuller picture of what the disciples meant. And it's in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha. 
And when he walks in, Mary sits down at Jesus' feet and, and begins to just sit there and be present with him. And Martha, we're told, she busies herself with the things of the house. And so she's running to and fro, making sure things are set. And then, you know, as it happens, she gets irritated with her sister and she comes up to Jesus and she says, do you not care? And you see, I think what, Mary, what Martha and what the disciples are saying is, Jesus, you're not noticing what we're going through. You don't seem to care. And I have to be honest with you, I've done that. I think that my life is, has a storm that's big and I'm not getting noticed enough by God. And so when something happens, I'm easily pointing my finger up to God. Do you not care? You know, I feel guilty then, just like the disciples must have, because I think, obviously, Jesus cared. He died on the cross for me. Even before he knew the weight and the burden of all of the sins that I would commit, he said yes to me. He conquered that. How must God feel each time I question him? Looking back at the text, though, we see Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't wake up and rebuke the disciples. He doesn't get angry with their question. He doesn't yell at them or act like I would if someone suddenly woke me up. The scripture tells us Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, peace, be still. The word that Jesus uses here to rebuke in Mark is the same word he uses throughout the gospel to cast out demons. It's the same word that he uses when he sees evil pressing in on someone, whether it's through a, a physical or a mental illness, and he casts it out. We see from the passage that the force that is driving these men is fear. And fear, as we all know, when it consumes, becomes an all-powerful force that tears people down. This is what Jesus is speaking to. You see, Jesus was not just commanding and rebuking the sea and the wind, but he was commanding and rebuking the spirit of fear and doubt that was pressing down on these men. The word that Jesus uses here for peace, I assumed it would have been like shalom, peace, tranquility. But really, y'all, it's better translated as hush it or zip. It is a command to be silent. And when he says be still, it's the word for a muzzle. It's the word to close one's mouth. Jesus' response to the chaos, to the storm in the disciples' lives that is causing fear and doubt is telling it to be quiet. Stop speaking words of fear that are tearing my disciples down. Stop shouting at them to doubt when I am right here. I always assumed in this passage that the thing that Jesus sought to stop was the physical storm. What Jesus spoke to stop was not just the power of the storm. He could do it. But the power of what the storm was causing, fear and doubt. Does Jesus have the power to stop any force on this earth? Absolutely, yes. But the power that Jesus is more concerned about stopping is the ones, those powerful forces that draw us further away from others and further away from God. And he tells it to be quiet. I believe one of the greatest forces at work 
in our lives today and specifically in the context of Westlake Hills is, is the power of not enough. I walk into my house and I decide I'm going to unpack one room. And at the end of the unpacking, it's still not enough. I look at my report cards through life. I'm still getting report cards because I'm still in school. Or my kids' report cards or your grandkids' report cards. And you look at it and you think, there's just not enough good grades. Or you look at your bank account and it's not enough. Or you go back to the doctor after doing everything the doctor said and he says the treatment was not enough. In Jesus, though, we are always already enough. Not because of anything that, that we did, nothing of our own being, but because of the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus has already conquered all of those forces that are coming up against us. Jesus is powerful means that Jesus' action is always one that is working towards conquering the powers of this world. And us, as those who follow and believe in Jesus, we are trusting that through his power, we also are able to overcome. And so in Jesus, the power of greed is overcome by the power of generosity. In Jesus, the power of lust is overcome by the power of self-respect. In Jesus, the, the power of addiction is come over, overcome by the power of self-control. In Jesus, the power of hate is overcome by the power of forgiveness. And in Jesus, the power of fear is overcome by the power of faith. So Jesus silences the wind and the sea, and, and then he looks at the disciples, and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And it says to me, why do I continue to let the powers of this world win? Dr. Boyce of Luther Seminary says the problem is that the space between our two worlds has, is just too thin. This is what he writes. He says, in Jesus' question, have you still no faith? The disciples in the story, as we, as its hearers today, are called to recognition between two vastly different worlds that we inhabit. One can continue to live in the world of fear and chaos, seeing oneself orphaned or alone without the power of God, living in a world controlled by the power of evil. Or one can be open to hearing the message and promise of Jesus in whom we are told that the kingdom of God is now in our midst and offers a whole new future. The line between these two worlds is thin and risky, but in between them stands the power and the gift of the good news of our Messiah, Jesus. All of us have, are, and will experience being swamped, the storms coming. That's part of living in a world where God has given us this, this opportunity, this free gift to choose. Didn't make us robots. But our God chose for us to be free in Christ and therefore in that freedom to step in to the power that lies in Christ. And, and this reality though, it creates a very thin line for us between the powers of this world and the power of God. We serve a God who says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I 
have overcome the world. Friends, may each of us tap into the power of Christ, which has already conquered all of the powers of this world. May we do so this day. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.